This is the I Am A Mainframer podcast, brought to you by the Linux Foundation's Open Mainframe Project. Episodes explore the careers of mainframe professionals and offer insights into the industry and technology. Now your host, Senior Analyst and Vice President of Sales and Business Development at Futurum Research, Stephen Dickens. Hello and welcome. My name's Stephen Dickens, and I'm looking forward to today's episode. I've got Enzo D'Amato here. Enzo, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's really a great opportunity to get to, you know, talk to you and present to the community. So, Enzo, we spoke just a few moments off, off camera. I'm really looking forward to today. Let's just introduce you to the listeners. What are you doing? Where are you in your journey? Let's just get orientated. Just tell us for a few moments a little bit about you and, and how you've got into the mainframe. So I have been building out my home server lab since I was in fourth grade. Uh, as part of that, I've gotten everything from various networking equipment to tape libraries to you know just normal servers. And around three years ago, I had the opportunity to participate in the IBM Master Mainframe. It was called then. Now it's called Z Explorer program. And that was really a really great introduction to the platform, you know, what it was about. And through a part of that, I learned about the history of the platform. I like, you know, uh, historical computers and stuff. I messed around with the Hercules emulator a bit. And ever since that time, I've been searching for my own mainframe to get and to have like my own access to the physical hardware. Uh, this has been around two years of searching. And eventually around six months ago, I found a machine that I could get. And I set up upon the process of buying it. Uh, and ever since that point, I have had my own mainframe at my house, and I've been working on getting it set up and programmed and all working. And I was invited this August to present my experiences at the SHARE conference, which was a really great opportunity. You Fantastic. Know, so, so, Enzo, let's, let, let's geek out a little bit here. So what have you got at home? I, th I understand this is Z14, so maybe just for a, uh, a technical... Oh, Z Z114. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm not blessed enough to have a model that new. I was going to say that. So that's obviously a business class machine from a way back. Let's just go and f tell me the story. Where did you find a Z114? That's probably a 10-year-old, maybe 11-year-old machine. 10 years exact, 2012. I see. I know what I'm talking about. So maybe let's understand that kind of how did you track it down how did you find one of these in the wild how did you manage to get hold of this box so i started off the process like i said around two years ago um i had seen on gov deals on a government auction site come up a much larger lot of three z114s a mm -hmm. ds unit and five frames of tape library now i really wanted to get this unit at the time <laughs> because it was right near my house too it was in new york city and i could just you know it was like an hour away i could just chuck it up but my parents said, we're not installing an electric substation. We're powering, <laughs> but you can't have the entire garage. So unfortunately, to my everlasting consternation, that got shut down. And after that point, I was really determined to get my own machine. You know, not only because the tech was really cool, but also because it was now the unobtainium and I was a teenager. So I really, really wanted to track one down. Uh, and I set up alerts on sites like government auction sites on eBay and whatnot. And I eventually located one and on ebay that was being sold it was in north carolina uh and i bought it i messaged with the seller a lot i planned out shipping i found a carrier who was willing to truck it which was a, a real nightmare you know one it turns out no one wants to move an 1800 pound frame 
Um, so, so let's maybe just go back a step before that. What got you interested in mainframe in the first place? So you've you've now got one of these Z114s, but why? Did, what was talk me through the decision making process if there was one of hey, I want to get into mainframe computing. That's not yeah. a typical thing for a high schooler to think. Well, I guess what first got me involved in the technology at all was its connection to you know vintage and retro computing. You know, I had been doing a lot of reading. I found pictures of the old System 360s, and I was like, oh, that's really cool. You know, as I did more research into it, I, I learned that these things are not just retro computers, that they're still around, that they're immensely powerful, and that they're, you know, a really cool modern platform. You know, when I started reading about what they did, I started seeing what they did. I, I watched Connor Krakowski's presentation mm -hmm. share, you know, which was really interesting. I was like, huh, this is really cool. This is the logical pinnacle of... Uh, home lab computers and I said I have to have it this is the biggest this is the best I can possibly get you know this is the most powerful computer I can have and I set myself to locating one I had messed around like I said and messed the mainframe and the Hercules emulator with some of the older MVS releases you know and I said this is really neat I find this tech interesting it's not just another Linux box it's not front-end web development you know and said and said but you know, you can't really learn unless you have your own hardware. You know, that's what I've always done. I've always built out my own hardware. Uh, I've always wanted to get really hands-on with the tech. And getting my own mainframe gave me the opportunity to do that. So that's why I was so hooked. So let's wind forward now. The Z114s are arriving in the garage. Talk us through the kind of unboxing and kind of cabling process and getting these things set up from scratch. Well, the unboxing process was one of short, sheer terror because <laughs> we got it off the truck, which was terrifying because the truck actually, the lift gate has an incline. So you have to like hold it and hope it doesn't crush you if it falls. And then it got even worse when we found out that the builders had built the doors to our garage around a quarter inch too small. So it didn't actually fit through the door, uh, which is a really great feeling when you're on an incline holding an 1800 pound mainframe with three other people. Uh, so yeah, uh, eventually we decided that it was going to rain that day. So we had to get it inside. All four of us started pushing on the back of the machine as hard as we could. Uh, and then with the, with the groan, it turned, it ripped part of the door frame off and shot through the garage door. So we got it inside, uh, just barely, which was, yeah, it was obviously very nerve wracking. We got it inside. We moved it to its final location. Uh, and then we reassembled the garage door. Uh, beyond that, I had to do some research on power cabling because mine had a three-phase plug and I was doing standard 220. Uh, turns out you just hack off the third phase, wire positive to phase one, positive two to phase two, and ground to ground. And it works like a champ. Uh, I was actually right like 10 feet away my, from the rack down in the basement here where my open servers were. So we just pulled uh, a bundle of fiber cabling through the wall to get it all hooked up data so you've got it cabled up you've got it green light code 20 sort of set up talk us through then what subsystems zos you know what else have you put on this box since you got it code 20 uh i actually don't have zos up yet i'm going to be getting zos soon so okay. in the immediate aftermath of it i spent around a month doing all of the you know pre-game stuff I had to set up my own fiber channel SAN for mm -hmm. storage, at least at first. 
So uh, that took a while. It turns out that you can actually do that with a standard Linux box using a fiber channel card. You can turn that Linux box into a SAN, but the software that allows you to do that is buggy as hell. So I had to manually debug it and manually fix it and recompile it, my kernel, and a bunch of other stuff. But I was eventually able to get the Linux box working and do that, uh, which gave me storage. And then I had to write IOCDS, which also took a while. You know, that's pretty cryptic, especially if you don't have like ZOS hardware configuration program, if you have to, have to write it up from scratch. But I got that written up and then I loaded Linux uh, to make sure everything was working and then loaded up a ZVM. Uh, IBM had sent over from Paul Novak, who's my contact at IBM right now, uh, who's in the ZVM, obviously, department. So he sent over a ZVM image, which I loaded up. And I was also in contact with the people at 21st Century Software. And they sit over uh, VSCN. So that's what I have up right now. Uh, I've also just recently received a, a FlexCub device uh, from Fundamental Software. So I am planning my ZOS install as we speak. Uh, I have the driver system. I'm currently waiting on IBM to send over the server pack. Uh, but once I get that, I'm going to have full ZOS up and running. So you're running a Linux on Z environment at the moment? Uh, you... VM environment at the, at the moment. Yeah, I so you're running Linux on Z as a test system. Okay. So what Linux operating system have you decided to put on there? Uh, I did SUSE. Okay. And talk us through how that went. ZVM's got some history going back to the 70s. You know, it, it's still in production in a lot of organizations and the foundation there. You know, talk us through how, you, how you've got on deploying Linux on this box. Well, wasn't really that different at first. I mean, it I mean, probably the biggest difference was setting up the network cards, actually, because they're, the OSA cards are set up differently under ZVM and under VM in general. But getting that set up wasn't that big of a deal. Um, I'd say the biggest adjustment for me was setting up the ZVM itself, you know, mm -hmm. figuring out how to set up the, you know, mini disks and set up the storage setup and learn the commands and set up Dermaint and, you know, all those other parts of ZVM. You know, just learning the new system, reading hundreds of pages of manuals to figure out the new commands, figure out how to do everything from scratch, figure out what it all does, you know. So in comparison to some of the other systems, the sort of x86-based systems, other Linux systems, what was the experience, compare and contrast? Well, I'd say the experience was a lot more mainframe, you know, the experience was everything it expected to be from a computer this big. I mean, obviously a lot more reading involved, you know, a lot less point and click, but on the other hand, a lot more robust, at least in my opinion, it seems a lot more robust, you know, setting up the, the disks and setting up the SAN, you know, the amount of resources you have, the system speed, the, the way the IO is set up, you know, it really seems like it's, you know, built like a mainframe, built not to fail, built with really high availability in mind really large amount of workload running on one box, you know, and the Linux environment that you do get set up seems a lot more enterprise ready in a way. It seems I've mainly worked with none like SUSE distributions. I've mainly done Ubuntu and Debian. SUSE seems like a lot more polished on the mainframe, seems a lot more reliable, you know, a lot fewer bugs and that sort of thing. So you've got to be a lot more intentional is the takeaway exactly. you've got to really yeah, sort of think through your deployment rather yeah, that's than... Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, okay. 
So what's been the reaction from the community? I mean, Share's a fantastic environment. I can imagine you went down a storm. Talk me through kind of what the reaction was following your presentation. Well, I think the reaction was absolutely fantastic, both before and after. I mean, before my presentation, the reaction was, you know, a lot of encouragement and a lot of help, you know, from people who've gotten in touch with me to help me get hardware, help me get in contact with people at IBM, help me get uh, everything you really need to get a mainframe set up, get in contact with the people at Fundamental Software for FlexCub, you know, all that stuff was really supportive. And after Share, that's only been even more so. You know, mm -hmm. I've gotten in touch with a number of publications like this, a number of mainframers around the world I've been, who I've been talking to, and it's really been a, a great experience to get to meet everyone and really get to meet all these people who are involved in this community. The community has been super friendly, super welcoming, and super helpful. Fantastic. So maybe let's sort of see where you are now. High school senior, we were talking a bit off camera before around the amount of colleges you were applying yeah. to. I'm assuming you're applying to do comp sci rather than yeah. become a music major. But maybe just talk us through what the thought process is and what's next. That would be a assumption. <laughs> I kind I'm of figured you were in college. Major. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, obviously comp sci is where I want to be. Uh, I want to do comp sci maybe with a, a minor in cybersecurity or a minor in computer engineering, both fields I find very interesting. Um, you know, I want to take that knowledge. I want to go, I want to develop software. I want to develop systems. I find working on computers to be really fascinating and something that I definitely want to keep doing. Uh, it's been what I've been doing since I'm in, like I said, like since I'm in fourth grade, something I definitely want to stick with. It's what I do for fun as well as what I hope to do for work, you know, and I'm hoping that the mainframe can be a part of that. I really enjoy working with the platform. It's very different, very interesting, you know, and as someone who's always looking for a new technical challenge to explore, mainframe really gives you that. There's a lot on the mainframe and a lot of very different environments and deployments. So you can always have something new to play with, new to learn. So, I mean... A lot of people say this is a legacy technology. A lot of people say there's a lot of barriers to skills. It's tough to understand. I don't subscribe to any of that, and it doesn't sound like you do either. What's been just the getting on the platform for the first time, understanding it, going from zero to deploying a machine and getting it up and running? How's that experience been? Well, I think the experience has been really wonderful, but I think there's one major thing that's lacking. And that's a real hobbyist program. Mm -hmm. Like one of the reasons why Linux is so popular right now is because anyone who wants to learn about it can just download it. The cloud is really popular because any high schooler can sign up for a free account for a year and then pay like $3 a month to keep a basic instance up and running. And I feel there's really no equivalent with the mainframe, you know, and I think there should be because it's not a legacy tech. It's the fact that people have deployed legacy code to the tech that no one's bothered to update, you know, and I feel like if you were running code from the 60s, it doesn't matter whether you're running it on the mainframe or anything else, it's going to be legacy. But if you are doing all the cool new stuff that the main mainframe can be doing, you know, from new languages to, I guess, all the new features, ZCX, you know, Z, you know, ZOSMF, Z, you know, all the new frameworks, like running web applications on the mainframe, using it as a big database server, running Linux on the mainframe, uh, and all the other wonderful stuff that you can run on now, all the new DevOps stuff they've been doing, 
you know, the real encryption and AI capabilities, it really can be a modern platform and in a way is a lot more modern than some of the, than some of the, you know, Linux stuff, because it is a standardized platform. And when it, it, get, it gets upgraded, you can really take advantage of those new capabilities without having to wait for other parts of your stack to update. But I think there's a real barrier to entry in that there is no hobbyist program. If I want my friends to get on it, I have to give them access to my system, which I have no problem doing. I want my friends to mess with the, the stuff too. It's really fun. But if I hadn't been able to find a mainframe, I wouldn't have been able to set up ZOS from scratch. You know, I wouldn't have been able to set up VM from scratch. There's no real program for people who like doing everything from the ground up on mainframe. And I think there should be. Yeah, it's going to be interesting now that the open mainframe project has got its own hardware. I think that's going to give a neutral place in the community for people like yourself to be able to bounce onto that machine. I mean, that's been a long time coming. There's been some stuff that IBM's done to provide sort of free cloud access, but it's certainly not been the hobbyist program to the extent that you've described there. And I, and I feel like that if you are a company in the mainframe space, if you are making something, there's really no downside to putting in together a hobbyist program. There aren't many people who have their own machines. But, you know, if I have my own machine, it's not like I'm going to be paying you 100 grand for software. You know, I don't have that. There's no downside to letting people like us explore and play with that technology. You know, the only benefit is that there are going to be more people in mainframe doing more cool stuff in mainframe, you know, making the community bigger. And a lot of companies have known this for a while, even companies making proprietary software, you know, have given out hobbyist or trial access, you know, and I think people have their own machines or people who are running emulators, you know, obviously within reason, not like giving it away, for, you know, completely for free to businesses, but people who are students who are genuinely trying to learn, I think giving that access and creating a student program or hobbyist program would really help to get more people interested. Because a lot of the people I know are interested in mainframe. You know, a lot of the kids I know, even before I got this program, like mainframe looks really cool. Let me know when you have that up. I really want to mess with that. You know, the idea that no one really wants to get in the mainframe is, is not true. It's that a yeah. lot of people aren't able to get in the mainframe. You know, and if the challenge is spending two years trying to get 1800 pound equipment or just getting a Raspberry Pi and messing with Linux, I think a lot of the kids take the easier way out, even though it's, you know, less enjoyable and less opportunity for missing the cool mainframe stuff. Yes, I would. I tend to agree. We've got to remove those barriers to entry and make it easy for interested kids like you to get onto this platform. So I ask this question of every guest on the show, and I'm really interested in your answer. What? I'm, well, I'm genuinely interested in everybody else's answer, but maybe I'm extra specially interested in your answer. I ask people to look into a crystal ball and look three, five years out as you're sort of so early to the platform, where do you see the mainframe three, five years from now? Where do you see the platform going? In three to five years, I see the mainframe continuing to thrive and continuing to do really well. Uh, I think if they can get more young people onto the mainframe, if they can really let people experiment with it, I've been seeing just personally since I've been watching mainframe, you know, in the search for it, I've been seeing a resurgence of interest in people online, mm -hmm. of people posting about it, even of people getting their own systems, you know, and I think that as long as people continue to nurture that upswell, people are going to see all the cool stuff mainframe has to offer and really get into mainframe. I think, you know, you're seeing with cloud getting so big, you know, people are finding out that cloud, I think the cloud, you know, like the public cloud or the Amazon web services type cloud, uh, 
is really is going to be scaling back as it finds its niche. You know, in the past, everyone's been in a rush to get onto the cloud and get everything onto the cloud. You know, I think as that reaches its pinnacle, you know, we have a lot of workload on the cloud. People are going to say, all right, the cloud is really great for this, but not so great for that. The cloud is awesome for my business, but not really for that business. You know, and as that occurs and people say, this is really the place public cloud shines, I think people are going to say, you know, this is where mainframe shines, you know, in terms of these kind of workloads and these kind of businesses, because there are a wide variety of workloads, a wide variety of platforms, and every platform is right for a different kind of workload. No one's ever going to be on the same thing. And I think that the mainframe provides a really good type, a really good, I guess, value proposition would be the business word, but a really good environment for certain kinds of workloads, you know, especially in those big, big companies that can really utilize the hardware. Yeah, I tend to agree. The way I describe it is just because the car exists doesn't mean there's not a use case for the train, the plane, and the boat. All, all different types of journeys require different types of vehicles. So give you a bit of an opportunity. You're obviously deploying this box. You're not fully done yet. If people are listening to the show and they want to help, how can people get in touch with you? And what do you need to do the next stage of your deployment? Well, next stage of my deployment, well, I really need two things right now. Uh, DASD. Uh, the flex hub I have is awesome, but it's only a loaner unit till the end of the year. Uh, I've been working with IBM to see if uh, what options are available to me. I think I may have some options, but if anyone has some disk they're looking to get rid of, I have experience with shipping. Uh, as long as it's something reasonably recent, I will be more than happy to ship it up and put it to good use doing good work for me, the students at my school who want to play with this, and other people who are really interested in mainframe tech. Uh, so that would be one. Two would be software. If you have software that you that you or your company makes, that, or even that, you know, like is internal that you want to, you know, send over, I have no problem running anything. I love getting the opportunity to learn. I have a blog going now that I'm uh, finished with college applications mostly, which I'm going to be updating really regularly, which I'm I'm hoping to do a lot of, you know, write-ups about different software, about what it does, you know, doing experiments with it and showing, like, really what it's capable of. So that's something, you know, and, yeah, that's about it. And I guess hardware and software in general. You know, if you have equipment, especially even, like, retro equipment, like old consoles and stuff, you know, I love getting stuff working. I love hooking stuff to my machine. And I really want to explore every aspect and every area of the mainframe ecosystem and the enterprise computing and enterprise hardware ecosystem in general. Like I said, I have an old whole open service lab. You know, I love getting to play with new stuff. I love getting to write up about new stuff and talk about new stuff and explore what it's capable of. So if you have stuff you're no longer using that you think is cool, I will probably also think it's cool and can do cool stuff with it too. And we'll make sure we get Enzo's details and put those in the show notes so you can reach directly out to him. I think once the community hears this episode, I think your inbox is going to fill up and there's going to be a lot of people who are keen to get involved and donate equipment and software so that you and your fellow students can get access. Enzo, this has been a fascinating conversation. I, as I said to you before, I interviewed lots of different people in different stages of their career. I haven't had many high schoolers on. Uh, I've had some college kids in the past, but this has been a fantastic discussion. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been a really great opportunity. Excellent. Well, you've been listening to the I'm a Mainframer podcast. Please click and subscribe. 
We'll see you next time. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you for tuning in to I Am A Mainframer. Liked what you heard? Subscribe to get every episode or watch us online at openmainframeproject.org. Until next time, this is the I Am A Mainframer podcast. Insights for today's mainframe professionals. <laughs>